So we are starting a new series talking about Joseph's life. And we're going to have like four little snapshots of his life and just how crazy it was. This all starts in Genesis 37. So if you brought your Bible, if you want to go to the Bible app, if you scan the QR code, um, all that information is on there. And while you are going to that, this is the main point for today. The proud tried to, the proud tried to save themselves, but the humble wait for the strength of the Lord. So I have a question for you guys as you're, as you're going to this story. How many of you have ever been put in a situation where it feels like you have no way out? How many of you guys have been put in a situation where you know you have no way out? And this could be something that could change in a blink of an eye, but where you feel like what was you are not going to go back to. How many of you guys have ever experienced that before? You know, I could have made, uh, been, made this decision very, very easy for myself. And, and, and there's a lot of different things that we can talk about today, but I think it's very important to go back to the beginning of Joseph's life at the age of 17 to start it there, to, to make sure that we go through this beginning part of his story where he did not make a decision for himself, that his entire life changed in a, in a blink of an eye just because of an interaction with his brothers. Now, we just get this small interaction, but maybe it had been a lifetime of interactions with his brothers, or maybe he had no point in this at all. Maybe he didn't make the decision uh, at all. Maybe he didn't make his brothers frustrated. But what are we supposed to do, as we're going to read about in Joseph's life, what are we supposed to do when our life goes completely different than we planned? How do we, how do we interact and how do we, what do we do whenever our life changes in a blink of an eye and we have no idea what it's going to be like moving forward. See, Joseph had 11 brothers, and he was the second youngest out of them. So he was number 11 out of the bunch. And there was something very special about Joseph, because his, his, his dad, Jacob, also known as Israel, um, this is the, the Jacob and Esau as we, as we read about, if you know that story, um, he really found favor on his son because he had him at a very, very old age. It was kind of like a new generation, a new beginning of a, of a new son coming into this world. And Jacob found favor on him. So one of the things that he did, a lot of you guys probably have heard this story before, but what he did was he gave him a special robe, a special gift that he didn't give any of his brothers. Now, how many of you guys have kids, and you know what special treatment does to the rest of the siblings? Those who are young, who are my younger siblings in here? How many of you guys felt like you did not get the special treatment that your older brother did, or your older sister did, and it was frustrating? Or, Drew's shaking his head, or you got the special treatment because you're the younger one, and my older siblings are looking here saying, I never got that. How come they have it so easy? Lisa's raising her hand. They got it so easy. Right, Carol? Yeah, turn your head around. You, you can smack her later. Uh, it, and because of this, because of this, it says in the script, in the scripture that um, before the one that we're going to read, it says, his brothers hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, it does not specify whether it's because of their own personal desires that they just thought he was special, he got everything he wanted, and therefore they just couldn't talk to him. They couldn't even see him because every time they saw him, he'd get so, they would get so frustrated. 
or he was the younger pestering brother that just poked every time he could because they had to do all the work and he got to stay at home because he was the younger, not as responsible one. We don't really, we don't really get that information. Now, some of us as siblings think and we understand this hate, or we think we understand this hate. Well, there's probably a point in our lives where we could not stand our siblings. We couldn't even look at them. Chris is raising his hand, or shaking his head, Lisa, as, yeah, 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 I know. He's like, yeah, I couldn't stand you at some point. And because of that, we felt like, man, we couldn't be around them. The sight of seeing my brothers, I hate them. But Joseph had one of these things that I think really irritated his brothers. Not only was Joseph a special one in the view of his dad's eyes, but also God's found favor in Joseph and gave him a gift of being able to have dreams and interpret dreams. Now, we all have dreams, but these dreams had meaning behind them. These dreams were, were foreseeing the future of what was going to happen, and he also had the ability to interpret these dreams. And that's where this story picks up. He has a dream, and he wants to share it with his brothers. In Genesis 37, 6 through 11, it says this. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were sitting, sorry, we were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while our sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he said to his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his, fathers, told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually bow down in the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. See, not only does daddy love him the most, but it sounds like he's going to be the ruler and the savior of his entire family. This got his brothers heated, as we saw there in Scripture. They were so mad that they knew that they were in line to the inheritance. We talked about this a couple, a couple series ago about the inheritance of people. Now, the inheritance back then was a hierarchy of the siblings. That they're, The first one, everything that the father owned went to the first one. If this first one was not around, it went to the second one, and so on and so forth. So Joseph was 10th, or sorry, 11th in line. So whenever he had this dream and said, you are going to bow down to me, the inheritance law completely was thrown away. And that what made the, the brothers so angry. He was like, wait a minute, you're supposed to listen to us. We're the ones that are going to be in charge, especially the first one sitting there like, you have no idea what you're talking about, number 11. You're 11th in line. There's no way that I'm going to bow down to you. There's no way that you're going to be the savior because I'm going to take over and I'm going to be in control. Now, the brothers, after this interaction, had been summoned to go out and, and care for the flocks and the, and the animals. And Joseph, 
or, uh, decided to, st- I think Jacob, his dad, decided to keep Joseph back because maybe of the interaction. We don't really get the true story of what happened, but for whatever reason, Joseph was not with his brothers. But, but Jacob, I just decided that it was, it was time for him to go out with his brothers and do um, what his brothers were doing, and that's where this picks up in Genesis 37, 17 through 20 to continue the story. It says, they moved on from here, the, uh, he answered. I heard they, them say, go, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. And say that this ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll be able to, then we will see what comes of his dreams. See, what Joseph doesn't understand that in just this next part, that his life is is about to just be, be completely flipped upside down. That everything that he was used to, his brothers, his family, working, all of that was about to change in an instant. And it says this, Judah said to his brothers, what will it gain if we kill our brother and cover his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So the Midianite merchants came by. His brother pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When life gives you a traumatic change like that, what do you do? What do you do when life as you know it completely changes? What we like to do in these moments is we try to find a reason for it, don't we? Not just for any reason, but we try to come up with a reason so that we can feel like we're still in control in a moment. We think that there is some sort of cause and effect to everything, so what we do is we spend our time just stirring and racking our brain, trying to figure out what went happened, what went wrong in this, in this situation. We try to look at every different details and we play it over and over and over again to try to figure out how in the world did I get myself in this situation and what did I do to put myself in this situation. We are literally stuck in this situation as long as we just put a, a cause and effect to it. We sit there and we wait, don't we? Did I do anything? Did I say anything? Is there any signs that I might have missed in the situation? Maybe I was around the bad people. Maybe I worked too much. Maybe, 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 and you just say it over and over and over again, and you come up with these thousand situations, and you just say, maybe this is why my life just changed in an instant. I'm saying that we, I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn from our mistakes. I think we should. But whenever our life gets flipped upside down, I think we look more like people who believe in karma, Buddhists, than Christ followers. And I don't don't blame us for doing that because that's what what we've been taught in school. Besides the afterlife part of of karma, we, we really do believe in this cause and effect of life that everything that we do and everything we put into our life, we are going to receive something out of that. Now, some of that is true. If, if you spend a lot of time in your life 
trying to perfect a certain sport, you should, in theory, get better. The more time you practice math and, you, and you, the repetition of that, you should get better in math. But that's just a small, a small section of your life where if you put work into it, you should come out better. Have you ever been told that before, though, with your life? Have you ever been told this before, that you are in control of your life? Whatever happens in your life is dictated on what you put in. You can be anything in your life if you just put enough work into it. Now, this is slightly true, like I mentioned before. But the harder you work at something does not guarantee success, as we know. Or a more positive thing in our life, that if we continue to do things over and over again, that things will get better. But there are some negative things. You know, if you, if, you, if you spend a long time around negative people and you spend a lot of time doing negative things, you probably will have a negative life. Same with positive. But when it comes to all of this situation, we always like to label ourselves as a good person. That whenever something bad happens in our life, we say, I don't know why this happened, I'm a good person. I do the right things, why did this happen? And then we go into this analyzing of our life, trying to take control of what has happened because we put enough good things in the world that a good thing should come out, right? That everything happens because there's a cause and effect. We love to do this because we still want to be in control of the little things that we have in our life. I think we do this because... Everything in our life, we think, requires an action. That when something happens, that there has to be an answer right then and there. That if, if something bad happens in our life, there has to be an action that comes out of it immediately. When something bad happens in our life, people always say, what are you going to do about it? What's your next step? What's your plan? Why, why did this happen to you? And then because of that, we just think, that we need to have an action immediately after something happens in our life. But here's what the Bible says about all this. And 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11 says this. In the same way, who, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert and be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, making you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Be humble myself. Under God's mighty hand? That doesn't sound like control. See, that doesn't sound like, like I can make a difference. 
That doesn't sound like I can take my pain and do something with it. And cast my anxieties and fears on him too? So basically, God wants me to give up my entire situation and give it to him. But if I do that, I don't get to make decisions in my life. I don't get to decide what goes next in my life. See, I want to share with you with something with you guys that I have struggled with for a couple years now. And the reason I struggle with it is because I've never really shared it with that many people. And it just dwells in the back of my head. I think I've shared it with this, just a few minister friends of mine. And I've shared it with my wife, of course. And, and I'm going to share it because it's on my paper and I can't get out of it right now. Uh, this is the biggest, I think, the biggest failure of my ministry in the past seven, eight years. Since I, since I started full-time. You could even go back to when I was in college and, and did ministry then. And then we're up to 11, 12 years, whatever. And I think this might make a few ministers mad um, of my biggest failure. And honestly, I bet after 40 years of ministry, if I look back at this time, I, I, I bet you it's still number one. In 2020, on March 6th, the entire world shut down when we started the pandemic. And we were told that for two weeks, we were going to flatten the curve. And you guys are probably tired of hearing that phrase, because I am as well. And many of you might have, have been been sick, maybe, and, and maybe you guys have heard a lot of, of, of sick and a lot of terrible things that were going to happen over the next two weeks. And then after that two weeks happened, we, we realized that over the next year that our life was going to be completely turned upside down. That after two weeks, we thought it was over, but for another full year, our life as we know it was stopped and it changed for a very, very long time. And during that year, as I look back on it, I realized I was more concerned about going back to normal, and I felt sorry for myself because I, of this stupid situation, because I felt powerless. I felt like I couldn't do my job anymore, and I felt like, our, it felt like the government was telling me that my job was useless, that it wasn't important, and that I no longer had the right to do it. Now, I'm not going to tell you whether or not I agreed with this decision of what the government did, because that doesn't matter. But what does matter is I, I have, I, what does matter is why I failed in this moment. And I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but I feel like us as the church and me completely botched this situation. That we had the ability to be the church in this crisis, and I had, to, and I had the opportunity to be the minister in this crisis. And instead of fighting for the people that, were, that needed loving and healing, I sat in my room and felt sorry for myself because I couldn't do my youth ministry job. And I couldn't do my normal church Sunday stuff. And I couldn't take communion with my people. And I couldn't do communion, community group with my people. And I couldn't be with my students. And I couldn't stand in front of people and speak and play my guitar. And I sat there and I felt sorry for myself. And what I did is I, we, we let people die alone in hospital rooms. I let elderly people die alone in their nursing homes. We let, we, we let newborn mothers and newborns sit in rooms in silence and didn't get to support them. 
I got a text message from a good friend of mine whose mother got COVID, and he sat outside of her hospital and watched her window for days, and she passed away, and he didn't get to say goodbye. And my biggest regret in this situation, and I can only speak for myself, is that I didn't go to that hospital and bang down their doors and say, let me be with the people. Let me be with those who are on the verge of dying. Let me share the gospel message to anybody who would listen. Let me pray for the sick. Let me pray for the hospital workers that have no idea what's going on. Let me come in and be the minister that God called me to be. All because I couldn't get over myself. Because I thought I needed to grab control of just something in my life because I had no control anymore. But instead, what I should have done, and what we see that Joseph did in in an instant here, was that he mourned the loss of what happened. That whenever his life changed, whenever he got thrown into that cistern for the very first time and sat there for a little while, he immediately mourned the loss of what was going on, and it does not say that he complained. It does not say that he fought his brothers. He did not say that he tried to coerce them to go to do something else, but he went along with what they said. That instead of just throwing his hands up in the air and say, well, it is what it is, but I guess we've got to move on. He didn't look around and try to understand and try to justify what he did in his life. It doesn't mean that it's bad or evil, but he just sat there and he mourned his situation. It says that your enemy, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Resist him, stand firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. See, what Satan wants us to do is he wants us to keep trying. He wants us to keep beating our heads against the wall. He wants us to look over the situation over and over and over again and try to take control and have an answer of what just happened so that we might be able to go back to where we went. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to take control. Maybe we hold on because we're afraid of what's next. Maybe we are afraid of change. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of being, not being in control for the first time in your life. And Satan is just waiting for people like this. He's, he was waiting for me in that moment. He was waiting for me and he won an entire year because I took the entire year just looking and being frustrated and feeling sorry for myself because I wanted to take control of what was before. And because of that, I missed prayers. I missed opportunity. And I missed the gift that God gave me to be with people and share the good news of Jesus Christ. See, I know the prayers. I know the stories. I know the scriptures. And it still happened to me because I was proud. And that's why the main point is this. The proud try to save themselves, but the humble wait for the strength of the Lord. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. See, Joseph lost everything in a moment. 
And not once did he say anything. Not once did he try to replay the situation over and over again. He just gave in and he mourned his situation and realized that what was will no longer be. And we know this because in the next part of this story that we're going to read next week, it says that God was with Joseph. In the entire time of this next section that we're going to read, we don't even see that Joseph was shaken up at all. That he relied on the strength that only comes from our Lord. So I don't know where you guys are today. Are you in a situation where your life is flipped upside down? Are you in a situation where you feel like you're not in control of your life? Are you entering into or should be entering into a next part of your life that will require you to give up some control, but you don't want to enter into it, or you're entering into it very slowly because you want to make sure that you're in control of everything? Or maybe because, like Joseph, somebody took control of your life and took something away from you. And you don't know what to do next. And instead, you just rack your brain over and over and over again and think of the situation that was. And you say, maybe I could have done something different. But I have a suggestion for you. That instead of just sitting there and dwelling and allowing that to take over your life so that you can feel like you are in control of something, remember this that all of you close yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. And remember this. The proud try to save themselves, but the humble wait for the strength of the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for today and this story of somebody whose life turned completely upside down, and it seems like he's going in the right direction in spite of everything. God, I pray that we can learn from this story, and we learn from what's going to happen next with him. And we learn from First Peter that says that you do not like the proud, that we should not be proud, but we should give everything to you in this instance because you are the one that gives us strength, not ourselves. God, I pray that if anybody here, including myself, is still trying to hold on to something because we want to be in control, I pray that we, in this moment, give it up control and we trust in you because the strength will come from you, not because we can be in control. And God, I pray that we don't miss opportunities because of ourselves, but we lean in and we are gained all the opportunities in the world because of your strength and not of our own. God, you are so good. And I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.